This week, the comics guys explain Loki. Good luck. Thank you, Ben. Yes, this time we will be talking about Loki. If you haven't seen the show yet, we are going to go into some amount of spoilers. So I would suggest maybe fast-forwarding a little bit until we're just talking about characters. <laughs> or, or, or just stop and go watch the show and then come back. You know. Yeah, that's actually that's a better idea. Go, go watch the show. It's, it's good. It's it might be six episodes. It takes less than like five hours to watch. So, you know. Yeah, then, then come back. We'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. Right. Yeah, we'll be right here. Yeah. All right. Well, assuming that you've finished that now. <laughs> Let's start by talking about the show a little bit. So, Darren, what'd you think overall? I loved the show. I loved the 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 concept of it all the way through. I'm very happy with where it finished up from a plot point of view, but I honestly thought the last episode was the weakest. Ooh, really? Weaker than the um than the episode on the doomed planet? I did. I liked the doomed planet. Okay. So I thought it. Could have all of the Doom Planet stuff I kind of felt should have been in one episode was kind of my yeah probably it probably did go on a bit long but I mean like yeah. they had a lot of you know emotional beats they needed to hit between those two between the two characters so mm-hmm. but my my concern I mean I'm delighted with the introduction of Kang I'm delighted with where the plot has been left to go forward into you know next seasons you know season two and the forthcoming movies and everything I'm happy with all of that. Mm-hmm. I just wished the final confrontation had not quite been so chatty, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and and I was kind of let down by the castle, right? Like the you know mm-hmm. that this is the building at the end of time, and it's just kind of like a ratty old castle. And I was just like, I I wanted more, I wanted more Kirby, I wanted more, you know, like crazy, uh, I don't know, grandeur. For, I think for the, such a thing. So. I think the previous episode probably built up the castle too much for me. Yeah. Because the previous episode was just full of all sorts of like wacky stuff. Yeah. Episode yeah. five is berserk and wonderful. I loved it. Oh, it's so. definitely the best episode of the series. Yes. Um, old Loki and Crocodile Loki just kind of cement that for me. Absolutely. The the conversation about with between Owen Wilson and uh classic loki about whether or not uh he is a loki or if he's just green and pretending to be a loki but how that <laughs> makes it more likely that he's a loki is just like one of the most wonderful things i think in the entire mcu like absolutely scenes yep oh richard e grant is a you know is a joy forever in everything he does so he is fantastic i hope we see yeah. i hope he comes back i know he died but like we just undid all everything to right. be uh, so I hope we do see him again. Right, exactly. Yeah, the enti- all of continuity has been tossed up in the air, so it's completely up to you know Marvel can reset it however they like at this point. Yep. So I thought Jonathan Majors was fantastic. I can't wait to see more of him too. He once again, I thought he was good, but I thought the script kind of let him down a little bit. Mm. You know, he was a little too with the you know avoiding answering questions and the whole you know like oh I use my time powers to get out of the way of your sword and blah blah. blah. It was just it was. It went on too long, and it was, right. I think, a little too kind of like facile, you know. It definitely was a little repetitive too, with him having to right. constantly re-explain things. Like they weren't trusting. It felt like there was a, a little bit of not trusting their audience. Yeah, that the audience was going to figure out what what he meant. We had to kind of like go over stuff several times. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is kind of fair because I had a. I've talked to like three people in my life about this afterwards. Uh, my mother texted me as soon as she finished it and was like, "That was that was so." Uh, I can't believe I have to wait a whole year until they finish that. <laughs> and then I got another question of like, I don't understand what was going on. So I guess maybe it was, you know, necessary for them to cover it over and over again. But right. And, yeah, and even even the worst episode of it, if six is the worst episode, that was still a B, right? Like, I mean, yeah. the rest of it was the rest of it was dead on. Right. I thought so. Oh, uh, we're not going to get into it this time, but I liked it much better than uh, Black Widow, for instance. Like, if we're just sort of comparing <laughs> all the Marvel stuff uh, to each other. Sure. I did. My friend's been running a uh, a ranking list where he just keeps the entire MCU on a on a board and moves them around as he uh, watched all of them, like, in a row when he watched them because he didn't watch them as it came out. Right. Um, and I thought that's a fairly interesting exercise, so I did that, too. And Loki is pretty dang high up there it's it's quite good all of the tv shows have been quite good i yeah I, I, every one of them has been you know 
worth your time at the very least. So yeah, they've all been entertaining. My only real con- thing that annoys me about them is that they don't drop them like how Netflix drops shit series. I'd like to be able to uh, watch them all in one day if I wanted to. But I'm kind of entertained by the old timeliness of that, actually. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can watch them all at once if you want to wait for the whole, you know, six weeks or whatever for the for the series to drop. But I kind of like the, you know, the 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 week between episodes to like argue with people online about what's going to happen next. So I think I think it's good for the it's good for the community. It's good for the fan base. I think that's true. It and it definitely means that they get to control the news cycle, right? And that's that's why right, they yeah. do it in the end. Exactly. Right. But yeah, I, I'm not like actually the, sure the, that you the whole. Can. The, the whole business with the with the announcing the cap movie, like literally a few hours after right. you know before the last episode dropped, right? Kind of thing was just mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. I feel much better about where Falcon and Winter Soldier ended, knowing that like literally you just announced a movie that was going to carry on from here, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, I would have been you know like annoyed with oh, I don't even know where the story is going to be next. Right. So right. it, it kind of feels like, and I guess this is more like general MCU. Maybe we'll get more into this in like a general, uh, in like a, another episode is that they're kind of setting up two divergent plot threads. Now one, which is the whole multiverse breaking apart, which we've seen in, uh, in WandaVision and Loki and the other one, which mm-hmm. we've seen in black widow and captain America, which is this whole like dark Avengers forming. Right. Yeah. At the, at the back of the series, I'm interested to see how or if those two plot lines collide, or if we keep everything sort of separate for a while. I think they probably will be separate for a bit, but I'd be very surprised if they don't come together in the end in the next Avengers movie, whatever that is, whatever format that shows up in. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. Once once we've once we've established Kang as you know this just like multiverse wide menace or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. they're not going to burn him off. It's Ant Man's not going to beat him himself, <laughs> right? Like no. we know, we know Kang is the bad guy for the Ant Man movie, specifically Kang. Um, and you know that's not going to be where it finishes, right? right? As much as I love the idea that Paul Rudd comes in and saves the universe, uh, <laughs> I don't really think that's where the story is going to go, right? Like that's you know coming out of Ant Man. I'm assuming there will be an Avengers movie that will be the full on, you know, let's settle Kang's hash once and for all kind of thing. So. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I think I, uh, I I probably agree with that as like a you know idea of to where it's going because like Doctor Strange is also going to deal with this apparently since right. Loki yeah Doctor Strange and Spider Man yeah oh um, yeah before we even get to Ant Man so yes yeah the Spider Man movie every time we hear something about it I I almost feel like we're definitely going to be let down in the end. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many rumors that no one's willing to confirm that we basically know nothing about this film. Right. That it's like hard to to set our expectations correctly for it, I think. Yeah. Hopefully. I'm like, I mean, I, it's, I it's a brand new like mindset, right? Like the willingness that the actors have to play bit parts, to like come back for small, you know, like appearances or whatever for this is largely unprecedented in like movie history. Right. Like Marvel is kind of like manipulating its the the material that it has, the IP that it has, and has so much money to throw around that they can pay Jamie Foxx to be in a movie for five minutes, right? Like an enormous amount of money to make it worth his time. Right. And 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 they know this is not even a risk. They know that this is gonna work. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. They have a level of like security with spending that kind of money. No, no movie franchise has ever been able to do this before, has ever had this many kind of like moving parts that it has access to. Yeah, it's true. It's something that when the when the movies were first starting, I think I remember telling a friend that I don't think they'll ever be able to do what they do in the comics, where you know, people just kind of show up in other people's movies because that's not how Exactly. That's not how movies work, but apparently that is how movies Appar- work. Well, once you get enough money, it is, right? Yeah. You know, kind of like once you've once you've built up that level of of uh, reliability, once you've built that 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 setting and kind of like baked that in, then oh yeah, okay. So we're gonna have you know, a you know, a scene in Spider Man where there's like multiple Spider Mans, and it will be all the actors who have ever played Spider Man, and you just like, how are you even you know able to put this together? How can you organize this? You know. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, they actually have enough money now that they can bring in a big name actor and then cut him from the uh, from it, like they did in Loki, because apparently they cut 
uh, a whole scene with Crims Hemsworth doing yes. uh, voiceover. Yep. Um, for Throg. Yep. Uh, which is hilarious. Which is both disappointing and hilarious to me. I I I like it better this way. Yeah. I like the fact that we hear his voice just for you know two seconds from inside a jar. I think that's funnier. So. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me hope that maybe next time we'll get Throg versus Croaky. Right, um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we'll talk about that up in a bit. That's the next... Uh... Absolutely. So, yeah, let's get into it, actually. So, if you've heard these episodes that we've done before for the other uh, Marvel TV shows, um, it's going to be the same format. We're going to go through the different characters um, and the big storylines that they pulled through from for this series and sort of talk about them and talk about all the origins. So, Darren, we're, uh, I guess we should start with the man himself. I guess so. so yeah, he's he's pretty straightforward, right? Like, if you've if he, mm-hmm. the movies have been so important to him as a character mm-hmm. that, like, the movie version, you know, has clearly overwhelmed everything else uh, about the character. Hiddlesworth perform is his his performance has been so astonishingly good and consistently good. The original Loki. Uh, is one of Thor's very first bad guys, obviously. He appears in uh, Journey into Mystery number 85, which is Thor's fourth appearance in October 1962. Uh, so he's the, he's the fourth bad guy that Thor ever faces. Um, and he is, you know, the, the, the character out of mythology for the most part. You know, Thor's half-brother, the god of mischief, the troublemaker, the guy who, you know, uh, literally cannot be trusted uh, because it's it's in his nature, you know, to betray everyone and to uh, just kind of like throw a spanner into the works of pretty much every good deed that anybody tries to do. He has an extensive history, obviously. He, you know, as in the movies, he's the uh, motivating force behind the creation of the Avengers. He, you know, has appeared over and over again in hundreds of stories of Thor, you know, up to various things. Um, he's died in the comic books multiple times, right? Like writers have killed him off. Nobody ever believes it. And he always does come back. Um, except that the last time he died, the most recent version of him that died, even Marvel continuity says that's the end of that guy's story, right? If you look in like the, the um, Marvel wiki, uh, that character is dead and gone. The, the Loki who was the Loki from 1962 into, you know, 2000 and whatever, uh, is no longer exists. He is 100% confirmed dead. And there is a new Loki who is considered, once again, by Marvel continuity to be a completely different guy, which is kind of interesting. Like I said, it's, you know, like multiple times he's died in the comics and they never did that before with him. But this guy is apparently, you know, completely, se- completely separate. Um, so the, the Loki that we know from that first appearance in, Thor- in Journey into Mystery all the way up to Siege... Uh, the limited series uh, is is one dude, and then he dies in Siege Number Four. Um, he he goes down. Yeah, he goes down fighting uh, Sentry, basically, who is a very you know cosmically powerful uh, bad guy, and the Void, the monster that lives inside uh, Sentry, kills him and kills him dead. But Loki has, of course, planned for this sort of thing and makes a deal with uh, Hela to like remove his name from the book so that he can be, uh, the, in, instead of being dead and in hell forever, uh, he can be reborn in a new body. And that version, that form, uh, came back in the next Thor series after Siege. And since then, has been much more influenced by Hiddleston's portrayal of the character. Right, like the 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 version of him that's kicked around is pretty much all post the first Thor movie, right? And so the the Loki that has been portrayed in comics over the last ten or twelve years is clearly the Tom Hiddleston Loki. Um, it, they talk about in the 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 file that you see in in Loki where it describes uh, uh, the the report on him says uh, gender colon fluid, right, and. While that has always been part of the myth, it was never something in Loki's own story. We never saw a female version of Loki or anything like that, or a non-gendered version of Loki until this version, right? In which he became, uh, uh, he he was uh, in the form of a woman for quite some time, actually, in the series. Um, He also, when he first comes back after 
after after Thor after Siege when the the Thor goes out on a search to bring back the Asgardian gods, um, the the Loki that he finds is a boy in Paris. He's a kid, and for quite some time the the Loki is portrayed as a as a child as a teenager. And then there's an adult version of him that are that is running around that is clearly the the, the version of Loki that the kid is going to grow up into. Um, but that kid, uh, you know, interacts with the young Avengers and does a whole bunch of other, you know, stuff before he finally kind of like disappears. And so that's the reference to the kid Loki in the TV series is clearly, you know, like the, the, uh, uh, a nod to the continuity, uh, the, you know, the brief several years in, in Marvel continuity where Loki was a 12 year old boy. Um, Neither of the or none of the other three Loki uh, variants that we see in the series are specifically based on anything from the comics. Uh, they're just hilarious. Um, the Loki crocodile, Loki Gator, basically is a completely new, uh, you know, version of Loki with no comic book reference. Despite the fact that some people will say that it's related to Thorfrog, it really is not. Um, the boastful Loki is just, you know, an alternate version of him. And then the Richard E. Grant, who is one of my all-time favorite actors, um, you know, basically plays the Loki from before Tom Hiddleston, right? Like, even his costume looks like the costume that he's wearing in the early 60s. Uh, you know, everything about the character uh, is a marvelous kind of, like, callback to the grand old bullpen days of, of Loki. And the thing I'd like to point out in Rich, when Richard Grant tells his version of how he survived, how he lived to be so old, it is literally almost word for word the fan theory from uh, post Infinity War. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like literally the way that like fans had decided Loki can't possibly be dead. Right? This is not. Uh, this is we're not going to ex accept this. Clearly, there must be some sort of shenanigans going on. Clearly, he must have used an illusion to deceive Thanos. And you know, like, actually got away from that, and will come back and menace him again, et cetera, et cetera, um, which turned out not to be the case. But in Richard Grant's Loki's timeline, that is apparently exactly what happened. So I thought that was a lovely nod to kind of like the you know fan community, basically, from their you know like insistence that they had all worked out in their heads how this was going to go, and of course, they turned out to be completely wrong. Right. The only variant who does, uh, besides Kid Loki, who does reference something in the comics is President Loki, um, the, the the leader of the gang of Lokis, basically, that comes to the headquarters afterwards with his, you know, uh, elect Loki pins. Uh, there was a limited series published in 2016 um, called Vote Loki. And uh, in that series, Loki did, in fact, actually run for president in kind of like a nod to the storylines from DC, you know, a decade earlier when Lex Luthor ran for president and won and was president in the DC universe for quite some time. Um, in this case, in the Vote Loki limited series, uh, Loki loses uh, the race. He runs for president, but he, he uh, loses. And it's only revealed at the very end that he had never intended to win. Um, and that he was doing this all on behalf of like, you know, some secretive others, basically, who trade him a magical book that he had always been trying to get that he wanted, basically, uh, in exchange for making sure that their candidate was the winner was the was the new president. Um, there hasn't really been much of a follow up to that. We don't know uh, precisely who the people were that he, you know, like made this deal with. And it's been almost five years in the comics now. So we haven't, uh, you know, that's a, that's a plot line uh, that's been kind of dangling for a while. It's, it's uh, so uh, weird because in the, um, well, I, I guess not weird, but uh, it's such a good misdirect in all of the trailers for that because I think I would have probably sworn that that would be, you know. The payoff, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be like towards the end of the series, like the, you know, the conclusion. Right. Um, but it's like barely a throwaway. Right. Yeah, he shows up wearing his own pin and everything for it, but turns out, oh, he's only president in this other alternate universe, and then he got pruned, right? So Where I, I would guess he won, maybe. Right, exactly. And it wasn't supposed to do that. All right, so moving on from the Lokis that we saw, the TVA is not just a uh, you know, construct uh, construct of the shows. Uh, it has shown up before. Yes, it um, has. Same with Mobius. So why don't we talk about them a little bit? Sure. The TVA 
as an organization is actually uh, is a long running manifestation of a, of, of a background plot from Thor, actually. And Thor, though he has very little to do uh, with, with the storyline, it's clear that like, you know, the TVA kind of in Marvel's head belongs to Thor continuity. And the first time that the uh, TVA appears and is named that uh, is in Thor number 371. Uh, from uh, September of 1986 by Walt Simonson. Um, that's towards the end of Simonson's amazing run on Thor in the mid 80s. Uh, and if you are not familiar with it, please let me recommend it to you as one of the greatest kind of like sustained long-term storylines for about three or four years in a comic by a single creator that has pretty much ever happened in comic book history. It's astonishingly good. And... Uh, Nobody should miss it. But in the TVA is, you know, as we say, it's an organization that is in charge of keeping timelines straight. It does not have the same, you know, background. It's not directly related to Kang till much later. And in fact, Kang in the comics is the one who destroys the TVA uh, himself. So it's not like built for him. And their primary job is not to maintain like a, a sacred timeline that leads to something in specific, it's to basically just kind of like prune the really bad, awkward timelines, right? It's to it's to kind of like straighten out paradoxes and other kind of knots in time that are just bad for the time, you know, the for, for, for the space-time continuum, right? Like that are in danger of breaking that down. They have a bunch of agents uh, who are called uh, justices. And all of the justices have like a second name, right? Like that's, you know, it's justice something. The first one that we meet is Justice Peace. And he, his job is, uh, you know, he shows up in a Thor comic basically looking for the time traveling villain Zaniac, uh, who has traveled back to the 20th century and is causing trouble there. And so the TVA sends, you know, like one of their, effectively a hunter basically to come um, straighten him out. And then the TVA then becomes, uh, when Simonson moves over from Thor to the Fantastic Four, uh, the TVA becomes kind of a running, uh, kind of like background support character that's at war with both Kang and Nebula. Um, and exactly what, which you know version of Nebula is a bit of a question. At some point, we'll discover that uh, at least one of the Nebulas running around in the story is actually Ravana in disguise. Um, while doing this, Mark Gruenwald, who was a close friend with uh, Walt Simonson, who was an editor and writer at uh, at Marvel, um, wrote a limited series called The Terminatrix Objective. And in that story, basically, uh, Nebula, that who turns out to be Ravana, and Kang have each uh, assembled their own teams of Avengers uh, to battle each other to basically kind of like manipulate the flow of history. Uh, and Gruenwald specifically is key to the story of the TVA. Uh, Mark Grunewald is born in 1953, died tragically too early in 1996, one of Marvel's greatest writers and also the biggest expert in the office during the time that he was there on continuity, right? He was the guy that the other writers would go to to straighten out before in the days before the internet and the days before the Wikipedia, et cetera, et cetera. He was the guy who knew all of this. And so it became a joke that Walt Simonson did that all of the actual administrators, all of the, not the, the combat guys, but the actual like business people running the TVA all looked like Mark Gruenwald. They were all clones of Mark Gruenwald. <laughs> and so when Owen Wilson appears as Mobius, Mobius being one of the characters, uh, you know, one of the, the administrators that we meet in the comics there. Uh, Owen Wilson has been done up to look as much like Mark Gruenwald as he can. So if you're wondering why Owen Wilson has that fairly preposterous looking mustache, you know, like on his face, it's because that's Mark Gruenwald's mustache. <laughs> right, that he had, you know, all through the 80s and 90s. And so, you know, literally characters will meet multiple TVA agents when they are interacting with the TVA and they all look like Mark Gruenwald. <laughs> there are a bunch of other throwaway references uh, in the, particularly in the Loki series that are kind of like, you know, little love notes to Mark Gruenwald, not least of which the entire sequence in Oshkosh 
the you know the kind of like the first time travel sequence that we see and the first opera operation that the TVA is involved on uh, takes place at the you know the, the the Renaissance festival there in in Oshkosh. Oshkosh is where Mark Gruenwald was born and raised, right? That's just his you know it's 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 just kind of like yet another kind of like little note to him. That's really neat. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. So in the run when Simonson is running uh, is writing Fantastic Four. Mr. Fantastic and the Fantastic Four have a lot of interactions specifically with Mobius. Mobius is the guy that they talk to on a regular basis. Mobius gets in trouble, basically, for failing to stop the Fantastic Four from running around screwing up time with their own time machine. Basically, in order to get uh, you know, uh, one of their adventures taken care of, uh, Mr. Fantastic basically has to blackmail him. Uh, into like realizing that like he has, you know, he has proof that Mobius has screwed up uh, on on a you know on one of his cases basically, and if he brings it to the TVA, then Mobius will be fired and probably eliminated and replaced with another clone of himself. And so Mobius agrees to help the Fantastic Four, you know, kind of like deal with their current problem. And at the end of it, Mister Fantastic arranges everything so that Mobius gets all the credit for their victory. Right? He doesn't care if the TVA knows that the Fantastic Four saved the universe. He sets it up so the TVA thinks that Mobius saved the universe. And Mobius becomes a hero and, you know, is, uh, is, is kind of like reestablished in his job and that sort of thing. And so he kind of like owes Mr. Fantastic a favor from that point on. Then nobody really uses the characters uh, for a while when Simonson stops writing and Mark Grunewald is, is dead. The characters of the TVA kind of like vanishes for a bit. But uh, Dan Slott brings it back in She-Hulk Volume 2, starting in uh, 2006. The premise of the Volume 2 series of She-Hulk is to very much play up the idea that Jen Walters, as She-Hulk, is a lawyer in the Marvel Universe. And so most of the stories revolve around the weird kind of legal cases that come up in a universe that knows that they have aliens and time travel and shape changers and all of the other you know stuff that goes with the superhero universe. Like, how crazy must the legal system be in the Marvel Universe? is the gag of the series. And at one point, uh, She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, is involved in a court case that involves time travel, and the TVA winds up getting involved in the court case. And kind of from that point on are regular background characters, right? Like they, they basically make She-Hulk into an agent for them. Um, they put a, a two-gun kid the Western hero from like the 1870s basically has been lost in time and is stuck in the modern day in the 21st century. And the TVA assign She-Hulk to take care of him, right. To, uh, you know, to, to help him integrate into the modern day, you know, 130 years after his death, basically. Um, at another point, Hawkeye is supposed to be dead, but he appears on a jury that is assembled by the TVA for a court case uh, because the previous historical version of him was a witness to something that happened and they need to call him in. And She-Hulk basically tries to get Hawkeye, that Hawkeye pulled out of time, right? And in, and back into theirs to bring him back to life in the modern day. And that, of course, causes all kinds of like messing up. So so the TVA since then has kind of, you know, been this uh, th this background character in a bunch of different series. The He Who Remains who in the TV show is clearly is Kang, right? Is like one of the alternate versions of Kang um, is a completely different character in the comics. And he is established as the last of the TVA agents, right? Like at the very end of time when the TVA has existed for untold billions of years, et cetera, et cetera. The last one of them is the guy who is called he who remains. And he then creates uh, an organization uh, called the Timekeepers, and the Timekeepers are these three agent, these three basically alien creatures that are grown in a vat by He Who Remains, um, and it is their job from the end of time to go back and you know kind of like uh, uh, manipulate the time stream uh, for the TVA to exist in the first place. Um, so that you know, sorry, I was just gonna. Uh comment on that i read an interview with the director or the the series creator or mm -hmm. series or whatever that uh she wasn't sure if they were going to let her use 
um, Kang. So I wonder if there is a version of this story where it's uh, Owen Wilson sitting at the end of the uh, universe. It's as just the a, last, as he who remains, yeah. Yeah, uh, Mo, you know, a version of Mobius that's at the end of the time stream. That's, that makes much more sense, right? Or it would be closer to the comics anyway, right? Yeah. Um, in this case, obviously, the timekeepers are real and right. powerful, and they predate the TVA, right? Their yeah. first actual appearance as mysterious aliens who are manipulating the time stream goes back to a bunch of Thor stories in the 70s, way before Simonson created the TVA. Right, they they were kind of retroactively combined into one organization, uh, you know, in the ninety, in the late eighties, early nineties. But in the seventies, Thor meets these mysterious alien aliens, the Timekeepers. He also meets an alternate history version of them, uh, where the aliens don't, or where the creatures don't keep the timeline straight, but instead try to take over and manipulate everything so that they're in charge of the timeline. And those guys are called the time twisters. And so the time twisters and the time keepers are basically like two different versions of the same beings that were created by he who remains at the end of time. But that is all, you know, retconned in the stories of the eighties and nineties. When Thor meets them, we don't learn anything about them. We do learn uh, that in, in the seventies, we learned that, uh, the time keepers, actually the time twisters, if I'm remembering this correctly, have been manipulating the Marvel universe up until that point. And that, for example, the space phantom in each of his appearances has actually been working as an agent for the time twisters. Right. Hmm. So technically, you know, in, in modern retro continuity, the first appearance of the time twisters is literally Avengers number two, which is the first time the space phantom appears. Right. Hmm. So they go, you know, like all the way back to literally Avengers number two, uh, you know, as far as like when they started interfering with history Um, in the the time twisters and time keepers basically are the prime menace behind the Avengers forever limited series that Kurt, Kurt Busiek wrote that was kind of like designed to, you know, like retell this story and straighten it out and kind of like establish uh, you know, in continuity, how all of these things could be in one story, right? And that that limited series takes place in 1998, um, in which they basically put together a team of Avengers from different times in Marvel history to like become a team to work together. And they're all like alternate versions of each other. There's two different versions of Henry Pym running around in the story. That's a lot of, you know, like confusing stuff, basically. Um, and in the end of that series, uh they are the the TVA and that entire organization are destroyed by Kang. And so from that point on, uh technically in you know in, in that saying the time twisters and timekeepers don't exist and Kang is the ruler of uh of all of this because he's changed history to make that actually work for himself. One of the interesting things from the time twisters series, uh, the time twisters as a as a set of villains themselves is that they were one of their big things was uh, were what they called nexus beings, which is kind of the same idea as nexus events that's revealed in the TV show, but in this case, it's specifically individual people who are kind of like the 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 focal point of time, like they themselves over the course of their existence are going to change and manipulate. Uh, timelines as opposed to a specific time and event like the Nexus events in this. And in the uh, 1992, the volume two uh, version of What If Comics, there is a five issue run from issues 35 to 39 in 1992 that are not just tossed away What If stories, but are specifically in continuity with each other. Uh, the stories of the Time Twisters trying to find and destroy or control the nexus beings in all of these different alternate histories, right? So there's an alternate history where Odin is the nexus being. There's an alternate history where an alternate version of the vision is a nexus being. The nexus being in our reality, entertainingly enough, is the Scarlet Witch. And this is a story that's 30 years old. So the idea that you know, like Scarlet Witch is apparently going to be very tied up in the in in the multiverse and the uh, you know the activities of the DVA and that sort of thing, actually has at least thirty years of history behind it as a concept. So that's cool to know. 
Um, well, moving on from that, um, we talked enough about uh, He Who Remains and the well, talking about the TVA. Let's talk about the He Who Remains of uh, of the show, Kang. Right. Um, although I don't think they ever use the name. They never say Kang in the series. I, 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 we've made a point of checking for that, right? So. Yeah. Um, but uh, we know that Jonathan Majors is cast as Kang. Um, in Ant-Man. Ant-Man, yeah. Although right. he continues to deny it. Right. Uh, which I which I appreciate. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> but yeah, so a movie from tw- a movie, you know, listing from 2023 is what we have to go on that Jonathan Majors is in fact actually playing Kang, but also it's the only thing that makes sense, right? I mean, like Kang is the only character of this sort of, you know, kind of like magnitude uh who clearly has the, you know, has the heft as a bad guy. Right, like to be behind all of this. It could be sure there could be a swerve going on here somewhere, but there's no better character in the Marvel universe to use, right? So it might as well be Kang. So uh, Kang in the comics uh, is uh, actually his name is Nathaniel Richards, and he is from the 30th century. He is a descendant, apparently, according to his own kind of you know research into his own timeline, of both Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, and Doctor Doom. So at some point in their you know in in their respective histories, uh, Mr. Fantastic's kids and Doctor Doom apparently has kids somewhere somehow. Uh, that there's a there's some crossover there because he considers both Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Doom to be his own ancestors. And in the 30th century, uh, Nathaniel Richards basically discovers an alien time machine and starts using it himself and traveling back and forth throughout time and causing all kinds of trouble with all of the history that he's changing and the alternate versions of himself that he is generating. Um, it is, he, Kang is, all right, <laughs> the, the version of this, it's hard to tell. Uh, there have been multiple early time travel villains in the Marvel Universe. It was a running gag uh, that Stan Lee would, in, would go back to on a regular basis that a character would be a conqueror from the future or, you know, like a master of time or something like that and throw menaces from history or whatever at the various bad guys in the early days of their stories. Right. Um, And so it was a, it was a bit that Stan would return to over and over again. And so in the early days of the Avengers and the fantastic four, we met multiple time traveling characters. Right, we had uh, Kang, we had Immortus, we had Rama Tut, who was a, a Fantastic Four villain, and we had Zarko the Tomorrow Man, who was a Thor villain, et cetera, et cetera. This was just kind of like a, a bit that like he would always go back to. Um, in one of the stories, the uh, Kang tells the version of his life in which it is revealed that he is actually also Rama Tut the um the fantastic four villain and during a time that like dr doom has been tossed into the time stream and presumed lost and everybody thought he was dead uh kang finds him and no well ramatut finds him basically and rescues him and they have a discussion in which dr doom reveals a bunch of the future to ramatut and basically inspires him to become kang later so even though Kang actually appears in the Marvel Universe before Ramatut, he is supposed to be a future version of the character who shows up later. This kind of confusion happens over and over again in the comics in the 60s and 70s. It became almost kind of like a running joke of the Avengers as a series that every writer who took over the Avengers, every new writer would come in and make this more complicated, right? To kind of hilarious effect. So Kang is not only uh, Ramatut and at one point one of his alternate versions of himself, but Immortus is also Ramatut as one of uh, is also Kang and one of his alternate versions, uh, and the Scarlet Centurion is also Kang in one of his alternate versions. So th- all of these timelines, as these different characters cross over each other like spaghetti, right? Like the the, the Kang timeline is such an awful mess, and done so on purpose. Right, because it is a never-ending generator of plots for the Avengers to get involved in. Um, so the first time Kang actually shows up, he is now the conqueror of the future, 
and he shows up. He's never managed to conquer the 20th century before. So he gives his first try at conquering the 20th century um, and throws a bunch of, you know, uh, menaces at the Avengers and gets beaten in one issue. Right. They chase him off. Avengers number eight in September 1964. Um, he's just yet another in a line of bad guys. But the writers were into him. And he came back several more times because he's got kind of a cool looking design. And of all the time traveling characters, he's kind of the most interesting one of them, right? Because he's the guy who's won in other places, right? He's conquered the 30th century. He's conquered the 40th century. He's conquered a version of the 10th century. He can't get the 20th century because the superheroes are there, right? But you can at least see he's had enough successes in his history that you can buy him as a threat. Even though the Avengers keep beating him, he clearly is winning in other places, right? Um, and so the more the storyline goes on, the more versions of Kang that are generated. Um, and so any given story in which Kang appears, you're never quite sure, is this the Kang that we saw last time? Or is this another version of him from another place with another backstory? Um, you know, and, and so different versions of him keep turning up. Uh, he Steve Englehart makes his character like super confusing uh, in the 70s when he does the series uh, uh, where Kang um, travels back to the 19th century Wild West. Um, and we see multiple versions uh, of that character there. This is all during the Celestial Madonna stories that Englehart is writing. Uh, and Kang is very much has one of his shticks basically is that he knows about the Celestial Madonna, this plot device, basically, of a uh, woman who is going to give birth to a cosmically powerful being at some point in the future. And several different women at the time in the Marvel Universe are suggested to possibly have the destiny of being the Celestial Madonna. And Kang really wants to control that being when it's born. So he basically kidnaps everybody who's a candidate, uh, including Scarlet Witch, Mantis, Agatha Harkness, a bunch of other characters, um, because he's not sure which of them is destined to be the mother of the space god, basically. Uh, in the end, it turns out it's Mantis, spoiler alert. But uh, So we see this character recurring over and over again. Eventually, we build up, and once again in the mid-80s, Walt Simonson, uh, getting a hold of this character concept for us, decides that it's interesting, like all of these Kangs must know about each other that they must interact with each other at some point. And so he creates the Council of Kangs, uh, sometimes referred to as the Council of Cross-Time Kangs, where all of the Kangs uh, are kind of, you know, or many of the Kangs basically form an organization to keep each other from kind of like interfering with each other's plans and also to kill off the stupid versions of themselves, right? Like every time a Kang makes a dumb mistake or a dumb idea or does something, the other Kangs come along and eliminate him so that he's not following up the timeline for them. Uh, and so kind of like by process of elimination, the Kangs who are left are the smart and dangerous ones, right? Which, so it's kind of like a great running bit that, that, uh, that, that goes with the character. Um, so you can clearly see this is a, you know, th this is where the multiversal war that the TV series and that the MCU has been kind of, you know, like uh, setting up as kind of the, the big menace of phase four. Um, is clearly going to be tied to this idea that you know it's all of these different Kangs, all of these different versions of him fighting with each other for control over you know like for to to conquer each other's timelines. Basically, it would be very cool, I would think, to see each one of these different versions as a different guy. I would love to see Jonathan Majors play, you know, five different bad guys, right? But they're all actually Kang, right? We could have a version of Immortus, a version of Ramatut, a version of you know, the Scarlet Centurion, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, all of these different, you know, like Kang characters. And then there's one of them that's wearing the Kang costume and using the Kang name, but they are all clearly the same guy from different parallel Earths. I'm not sure if they're going to actually have him use the different names every time, but I definitely think from this one, I don't think that this personality we will see again. You know what I mean? Right. The he who remains. I'm not sure that we will see the he who remains personality again. I think we'll see different personalities right or if we do it will only be at the end right, right? like yeah, if right. if this if he the resolution to all of this is to put him back in charge right or right. To put that version of him back in charge yeah he said i'll see you again in a few minutes or something right. to, 
tour. So yeah, that's definitely possible. Right. Uh, and uh, I, I definitely now think we are going to get, uh, you know, when we get Young Avengers, I think we'll get the classic Young Avengers put together because I think we'll get Iron Lad. Right. Let's quickly talk about him, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, once he's an adult and is a conqueror of multiple timelines, Kang looks back at his own timeline and sees that, you know, his childhood was unhappy in the 30th century. He was a victim of bullies and all this other stuff and says, if I had gone back and I, I could go back and, and make that version of me, uh, you know, more powerful at the time as a kid, right, I'd have grown up differently. I could, I could be a better version of myself. I could be an even better supervillain, right? Like if I hadn't been, you know, afraid all the time as a kid. So he travels back in his own timeline and hands himself as a kid, basically, you know, like beats up a bunch of the bullies who are beating him up uh, and hands the kid a suit of armor, basically, uh, you know, that he can wear to go about doing, uh, go, go about in his life. Um, but the kid, of course, has not yet really kind of, you know, committed to being evil, right? He's not, uh, you know, he, he's a little horrified to learn that the future version of himself from, you know, 20 years from now uh, is, in fact, a tyrant who, you know, rules an empire of timelines, et cetera, et cetera. And so he decides that he is going to use uh, the, the outfit that, uh, you know, his future self has given him as a superhero. And he winds up traveling back into our timeline. Uh, where he joins the Young Avengers as Iron Lad. And Iron Lad's actual backstory is a mystery for the first, what, eight or ten issues, I think, of Young Avengers before that. Like, it's revealed that he's actually secretly, you know, Kang as a kid, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically how the end. He puts them together, he puts the Young Avengers together, and then that's, the arc ends with Kang coming back and being like, all right, now it's time to come back and be Kang. Right, yeah. <laughs> Now you've now now that you've done this, it, it's your it's time for you to come forth and be a tyrant. And of course, he doesn't want to do that. So mm-hmm. Iron Lad is yet another alternate version of Kang that's out there. He's the one who's kind of a good guy, right? Even though Iron Lad was always kind of of the group, sort of you know willing to take the easy route and uh, was you know perhaps a little more uh, you know violent than the other kids in the Young Avengers. He was always a little on the edgy side. Uh, but he's, you know, clearly better than Kang. So, uh, so the other major character uh, from this story, from from Kang's story that uh, we meet uh, in the series, is Ravana. And uh, Ravana Renslayer in the TV series is uh, a high-ranking official within the TVA. Uh, somebody with, uh, you know, very kind of like mysterious background and set of motivations. We're not entirely sure what she knows. Um, and uh, her story kind of like still remains to be told, uh, mostly in, we hope, in season two. The Ravana of the comics, with the same name, is a very different character. Uh, she is the princess of Earth, uh, of, of, you know, basically the uh, uh, conquered Earth, basically, in the 40th century. And Kang comes to the 40th century to try to conquer her time. And this is in Avengers uh, 23 and 24. So this is, I believe, the fourth uh, time that Kang has shown up somewhere. And it's his first time dealing with the Caps Kookie Quartet version of the Avengers. And so in this story, uh, he is trying to conquer the 40th century. And while he is in the process of doing it, they put up a pretty good fight. And he meets Ravana, the princess of the enemy there, and falls for her. He falls in love with her. And so he's trying to, you know, win her hand and convince her that if she will marry him and come off to live with him in his castle at the end of time or whatever, that he'll go easy on the 40th century. During this time, the Avengers wind up in the 40th century and are fighting to, you know, keep Ravana safe to, you know, like defend the Earth against Kang, who they know is a bad guy just on general principles. And when uh, Kang kind of like makes this promise to leave the 40th century alone if she will marry him, uh, his, uh, she starts to fall for him, right? And she starts to really think, oh, he's actually, you know, he's, he's uh, a pretty impressive guy and maybe we should do this. But then Kang himself is betrayed by the general of his armies. Um, and so the fight kind of switches to Ravana and Kang and the Avengers as a group battling against Kang's army without him. Uh, and, uh, so during this fight, uh, Kang get, uh, um, Ravana gets shot by one of Kang's enemies, by one of Kang's soldiers, basically, and is nearly dead. And 
the story that we see in this one, Kang takes her to Limbo to try to heal her to save her life. Uh, another version of Kang from the future comes back in time in a later story to this scene, basically, and steals Ravana away before she gets shot so that Kang himself is the one who gets shot and dies in this scene. So like there's one timeline in which Kang is killed at this point and the Avengers just pop back to the uh, 20th century. And there is a timeline in which uh, one Kang takes the comatose Ravana to limbo. Um, so the, the next time we see Kang, he is still trying to fix his Ravana. Um, and so he enters into a competition with the Grandmaster, uh, in which uh, they will each pick a you know a team and have a battle. And uh, if the Kang wins, then he will gain power over life and death. And with this mysterious power over life and death, he will restore Ravana to life and be happy again. And so that's how he convinces the Avengers to help him: is that I'm not trying to take over anything. I'm just trying to save the woman I love. The battle is basically, uh, it's where the Squadron Sinister appears for the first time. This is uh, Avengers 69 through 71. And uh, the end of the uh, set of battles that happens here is basically a scrub ending, right? Like that's uh, neither, neither side has won outright. And so the Grandmaster offers Kang his choice of either the power over life or power over death, but not both. And Kang is so honked off at the Avengers at this point that he chooses uh, power over death to kill the Avengers rather than saving his wife. Uh, fortunately for the Avengers, um, he you know phrases it that he's killing all of the Avengers and Black Knight is with them and he hasn't joined the team yet. So he is not killed by this uh, you know like mystery power that Kang has and basically runs him through with the sword and kills that version of Kang. Uh, but the other version of Kang with his version of Ravana are still out there. And now the two of them are traveling in time. They basically turn on each other. The marriage doesn't go well in most versions. And so now there are multiple versions of Ravana running around as kind of like a rival to Kang at different times. Uh, she calls herself the Terminatrix. Uh, during the, the uh, Terminatrix limited series. Um, that's the version of Ravana that disguises herself as Nebula for a sizable portion of storylines in the mid eighties. When we think it's Nebula doing something, it's actually Ravana in disguise. Um, and then another version of Ravana uh, becomes the villainous known as Revelation. And she is the ruler of a version of Earth in the year 9,999. And so there are multiple versions of her, you know, kicking around out there in time, being mostly just as villainous as Kang, but usually as a rival against him. So we'll see how that, uh, you know, if that has anything to do with the future fate of the Ravana from the TV series, we have no idea. Yeah, and I mean, the series left her in a really interesting position um, as it's kind of unclear as to what she's going to go do. Right. Um, she's trying to find who's actually beyond all of this. And she doesn't seem to know uh, or have any you know, contact with he who remains, right? So we don't know if there's any connection between her and Kang, some version of Kang at some point uh, in the past, or there will be one in the future. Right. Um, well, there's still a lot more to talk about, uh, mostly from uh, episode five, which was just a treasure trove of Easter eggs. But we'll have to get to that next time. Um, for now, uh, thanks for joining us. I've been Steve Tasker. And I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming.